Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, let me tell you that the chat room is open. You can join us in the chat room. My guest today is Dr. Barry Sandrew. He is the developer of Legend 3D and the colorization process and the holder of over 14 patents. We're going to talk about uh, 3D technology, conversion to 3D, uh, colorization. We're going to talk about some movies like Shrek and Alice in Wonderland and The Green Hornet and a new Conan trailer uh, that uh, Dr. Barry has just delivered. We're going to get to him in just a moment, and uh, but I'm excited to have him as a guest, and I'm excited to have uh, everyone in the chat room and those of you joining us. Uh, the official website is rexsykes.com. That's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, and you can listen right there from the official website. Uh, and while you're listening and while you're in the chat room, do me a favor and go out right now and reach out to somebody and invite them to join us while we're live. Or even if even if it's later and you're listening to this archive, go ahead and share this as an archive. Tell people, hey, tune in to uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Listen to Dr. Barry Sandry tonight talk about 3D technology. Tweet them, Facebook them, MySpace them, use your favorite social means, email, phone them, look across the room and say, hey, come on over here and listen with me. Uh, but But – but do reach out to others. I really appreciate it when you do. You can subscribe to the official website by uh, clicking on the RSS feed right there at RexSykes.com on the welcome page. All of these interviews, and there are over 200 hours of professional uh, filmmakers sharing their expertise, their secrets, their tips, their advice, their know-how with you to help you advance your career and make your project smoother, easier, faster, uh, with less hassle. And, and so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's all there right there for you. You can subscribe to the website and never miss out on one of these. Listen to them all archived, or you can get them as podcasts from the iTunes stores because they're all there too. And when you do, go ahead and get the podcast, so please rate and review the shows. While you listen to us live, right where you're listening, please leave comments about the show. You know, Follow us, make us a friend, make us a favorite, but leave comments because that helps others find out about this show and it helps them because Rex, movie beat, Rex Sykes Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that's why I connect you up with these professionals who are making it happen. All right, so uh, I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being in the chat room. Do reach out right now. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest, and then I'm going to be bringing him on. Uh, Dr. Barry Sandrew founded Legend 3D Inc. and is an internationally recognized visual effects pioneer and digital imaging expert with more than 14 visual, visual uh, special effect patents and 23 years of feature film and TV experience. In 2001, he developed the company's technology for the original patented digital systems and processes for colorization, which he then later utilized 
as the platform from which he created Legend 3D's proprietary 3D conversion software. Now, he was previously a co-founder and chief technology officer at the American Film Technologies, that's AFT, a pioneer colorization company, and utilizing his patented technology, AFT colorized more than 200 motion pictures, 170 television programs, and 90 animated cartoons under his management, accounting for over 80% of colorized product worldwide. And also, after leaving AFT, Sandrew was founder of Lifespan, Inc. in 1993, one of the largest educational software companies in the U.S., and from 78 to 86, he was on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School, where he established three laboratories in neuroscience, including the first neuroscience imaging laboratory in the Department of Radiology, centering on MRI, CAT, and PET, uh, PET imaging of the brain. He's also a senior member of the International 3D Society, and he has a career record of converting color converting more than 400 feature films, 70 classic cartoons, 207 television uh, episodes. So I'm very happy to bring him on. There's so much more, and uh, he, he has an expertise way beyond the, uh, the reach of me. So I'm going to be learning so much right along with all of with all of my listeners here. Uh, Dr. Barry, are you there? I am. Hi, Re- Hi Rex. Hi, Barry. How you doing? Good. Um, this is great. I, we're, I'm thrilled to have you here and to be able to talk about uh, about this process. It, it's it's something that I, I suspect for most of us, you know, we see the end result and have no clue of how any of it's actualized. Um, mm. But we're happy to see the end result. So yeah, um, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> well, uh, me either. So let me ask you this: you know, 3D obviously is here to stay, and it, it's it's popular, and it, we've seen ticket prices bumped as a result of it. And we're paying more to go, and we're putting on glasses, and we're in the theaters. Can you tell us a little bit about the future of 3D entertainment, and and the growing demand for 3D viewing content? Oh, brother! Well, 3D is so happening right now. The consumer electronics industry loves 3D. It will revive product cycles that have been stymied by HD saturation. And, uh, I mean, it's really going to revive a lot of this, uh, the uh, consumer electronics industry, all the way to mobile phones. All, everything's going to be going stereo. In fact, mobile, uh, mobile phones right now are available uh, with uh, glassless 3D. So we've got, wow. we've got a huge We've got a huge investment. Um, in uh, in, in uh, television manufacture from the television manufacturers, obviously the theaters or the exhibitors are putting a, a hell of a lot of money into uh, converting their their theaters into 3D um, and uh, video and uh, sorry um, and uh, the, um, uh, the 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 consumer is getting very excited about it as well, obviously because uh, this has been uh, the most successful year in uh, box office history and largely because of 3D. Wow. Well, um, a moment ago you said uh, cell phones, mobile phones are going glassless 3D? Yes, they're they're already here. They're already here. So it's something something called lenticular. It's a a way of seeing 3D without glasses on monitors and everything like that. The only thing is that it's really only a a one-person uh, technology because it, there are sweet spots. If you move away from that that central sweet spot, um, it really doesn't doesn't work. You have to find another sweet spot. But if you're just holding a 
a, a you know mobile phone, it's perfect. So it's it, it, it's similar to a, a laser holograph. No, <laughs> no, I mean the technology is. But I, I, I just mean that. No, but I, I, what I mean is that, that in terms of of where you have to be in order to view it. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Well, that's so. Somewhere down the line, what you're saying is that this is going to go from being, you know, high tech, uh, Shrek and Alice, you know, these kind of movies, to uh, consumer level 3D. I mean, will it, will the day come when I or someone else can convert our our family videos into 3D uh, videos, those those old 2D ones that have been sitting around for 30, 40, 50 years? Well, you know, all of the TV manufacturers today or most of them have uh, automatic 2D to 3D conversion uh, built in because there's certainly there simply isn't enough content right now. Um, these processes don't work very well, but I think that they will improve. Um, we have a process like that. We don't use it for our, our first-run feature films except for um, some certain visual effects, and it helps us. But... Uh, for doing it for a an entire shot with uh, from beginning to end, it uh, doesn't work. But it will work for a family who has home movies. <laughs> That'll be fine for them. So, so like the old movie Thirteen Ghosts, which was made in the fifties, that that was, you know, originally three D in the theater stereo. It was, you know, I guess I, again, and I I'm, uh, know nothing about this, but the idea of red green or red blue, you know, uh, stereo. Hmm. That then was then aired on television throughout the '60s and into this day. That you know, it was never again 3D. Could it could be using 2D to 3D conversion that the TV studios have? They could now show that, or they, or they can't. No, I'm, I'm talking sorry. About, I'm, I'm talking about anything, Rex. Um, anything. Uh, yeah, anything uh, could be converted on the fly when you uh, when you turn on your set. Wow. Wow, that is that is amazing. How how and they and they have that now. They just don't have the content. You said no, no, or no. They is... they have that now in the televisions because there isn't sufficient content. So if you turn on uh, oh. what's your favorite show? What's your favorite television show? Okay, so yeah. I, I love uh, you know uh, uh, I can't even think of it now. But let's say the okay. Killing now on AMC. I like the Killing. All right. Well, that you can see that in 3D today if you have a 3D ready television. And uh, like I said, it's it's not all that great, but um, it, it serves a purpose. Amazing, amazing. So the 3D, oh, that's right, I do remember. I, I guess I haven't looked. I didn't think the technology was far enough along to really warrant my attention, but but, you're, but it is. I mean, it, it, and it'll only get better. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Oh, <laughs> true. Well, so let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, this this is a conversion from 2D to 3D, and that's what you're all about. That's what Legend. Can you give us? Let's go into the history of Legend 3D and the and the evolution of the company over the years, and and then we'll get into explaining the process of 2D to 3D. Well, I think you went through quite a bit of it during the introduction, but um, basically, I've been in the colorization business since uh, 1986. I invented the first all digital process for colorization in. Um, 1987, and uh, we had a very successful run doing pretty much of all, all of uh, Ted Turner's uh, work, Republic Pictures. We did uh, classic cartoons for Disney and Warner Brothers. Um, we we worked with most of the studios uh, back then, even though there was a lot of controversy. The controversy never affected us. Uh, we were doing very, very well, and in fact, I think the controversy actually helped us. Um, 
I, in 2000, I reinvented colorization. Um, all of the technology that uh, I had dreamed about back in the early 90s uh, all of a sudden was here. And uh, I, was, uh, I was asked by a friend of mine who used to be president of Fox um, International Home Video whether I could develop a colorization process that is light years ahead of what uh, we were doing in the 90s. Um, something that looked really photo real, that you really couldn't tell the difference whether it was shot in color or, or converted. And I said yes. I mean, all the things that I wanted to do, I could do all of a sudden. So I developed a new process. Um, it's resolution independent. It's, uh, it's got uh, an unlimited palette of, of color. And uh, it's, uh, we had to get some very sophisticated image processing to automate part of it. Or a lot of it, because when you color, when you colorize, you have to move the color from one frame to the next, and uh, when you have a thousand different uh, places, different colors in a shot, well, it's it's not no longer a manual process. So you have to have some kind of help. So we developed that as well, and we did about 135 titles in the past seven years, um, wow. including including about a hundred for our own library. Now, when you, what I mean by that is if you get a, um, a public domain feature film and you colorize it, um, that colorized uh, feature film, that colorized copy is eligible for a 95-year copyright. So we have uh, um, a library of 100 films that we're selling in, in all the major retailers, but we've also done work for, um, for Fox, Universal, Paramount, uh, and Sony. Do you uh, well? Let me ask you a political question. Do you do you encounter much resistance with the idea of colorizing the old black and whites? I mean, for a while it seemed that there was a, a you know a very pro movement for and and certainly a pro a, a very I guess counter pro movement against the idea of yeah. you know what what happens? I mean, in other words, two versions now of. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful life exists or something like that. I mean, that to yeah. me doesn't seem like a bad problem. I mean, you know. Well, they, they, we we did uh, it's a wonderful life about three years ago, and uh -huh. uh, for uh, for Paramount, and that plus Holiday Inn that we did for Universal are considered the, the finest examples of colorization in the history of colorization. Wow! And uh, and and the, the the interesting thing is that we, here we got a whole new generation of people and a uh, whole whole lot, a new audience, and they don't seem all that concerned about it. Uh, certainly, it's not it's not making the uh, it's not creating the angst that it used to. Uh, in fact, a lot of the critics, because the quality is so good, a lot of the critics are saying, you know, because it looks so good, it's even it's more, even more undesirable. Because what's got, people are going to think that this is the way it originally was, and this is the way it should be seen, um, which I agree with. But um, the uh, so it, what they were saying is, yeah, it looks a lot better. It's uh, it's watchable. Technology is advanced, but they still shouldn't do it. That's from a lot of the critics, but a lot of the uh, the critics have also turned around and said, yeah, I can see this now. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I, I love black and white film, but I love color film too, you know, and if I have a choice to see it in, in, in more than one way, I, I, I can't, you know, I guess as long as both of them remain, I, I don't have any issue. I think it's exciting what we can do uh, for film, and 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 I suppose one could argue that, with some exceptions, that the black and white was used because it was cost-effective and there wasn't color technology at the time, and they learned an art form on black and white film. But 
once color came into vogue, only rarely was it then a you know an artistic choice to shoot on well, black yeah. and white. In every movie that's produced today, in every movie that we have, um, every colorized movie that we have in our library also has a fully restored black and white um, version on the same disc um, uh, or on a separate disc. And, and back in the in the, the early 90s and even uh, at Legend uh, Legend Films, um, really the uh, the advantage of colorization is that it subs it, it it helps subsidize the restoration of public domain feature films um, that no one really could touch because uh, there was no there was no way of uh, recouping that that money. Well, we have a way of recouping that money, but and we've created um, uh, versions of black and white versions of these feature films that are better than any other prints uh, uh, in existence. Well, that, I mean, right there, that you know, I mean, we have so much film that's being lost, and when someone can come along and restore it and preserve it, and 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 additionally colorize it, I mean, it's it's that sounds to me, I mean, it sounds like a, a win all the way around. I have, uh, you know, I mean, I have an affinity for black and white, but I have an affinity for color too. I mean, it's it's, but you know, I mean, nowadays too with discs, do they? So, in other words, if somebody puts the movie out on discs, I mean, now you've got a new copyright on a color film. You could include the black and white version in the same way that you could have aspect ratio. You know, you could have widescreen or or or, or full screen. Right, that's what they do. That's what they're doing. Yeah. All of the studios. Okay, so that's that's very very interesting. What about what about safety last? Now, Harold Lloyd is is a favorite of mine. Oh yeah. Well, you want to find, you want me to explain how we got into 3D first? Um, oh yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, after, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, after we finished, after we uh, got into colorization, about five years ago, um, uh, an associate of mine, uh, Greg Passmore, um, he and I worked together for for a dozen years. Um, he came over to the studio and he had a, uh, a prototype of the Samsung uh, 3D Ready television. I had never seen uh, modern 3D, and this was the first time. And uh, I was blown away by it. All of a sudden, instantly, I saw the future. And knowing what uh, James Cameron was doing from, for Av with Avatar, I mean, most people in the industry knew about it if they weren't working on it. And um, it, it was clear that that was going to be a game changer um, and uh, we knew we had to get into this but the important thing that we noted was that if we were going to develop a 2D to 3D conversion process at least 65% of it would be precisely the same process as converting a movie from black and white to color so we already had mm. a pipeline that could do it all we really had to do was develop uh, a different way of, of masking things, of identifying things, and develop the back-end stereo process. And we spent, uh, spent uh, five years <clears throat> doing that, and uh, we came out, uh, we did some work uh, on, on uh, Michael Jackson's uh, um, tour, um, and we, uh, we did some commercials, and then we got Alice in Wonderland. I'm sorry, what was the last thing you said? Alice in Wonderland. Oh, Alice in Wonderland. So, yes. so now correct me if I'm completely off base. James James Cameron can spend all this time and, and energy and effort shooting a movie in 3D, or I could, I mean, given if I had the research, so I could shoot a movie in 2D and then bring it to you, and you could back-end convert it to 3D. Right. That's right. 
Wow. That's right. And that's, wow. What, that's what we did. And that's what we did with, you know, here, perfect example of that is Harold Lloyd. Um, Harold Lloyd, uh, Safety Last, a, a movie that was shot in 1923. Um, uh-huh. The reason that came to us is because the International 3D Society wanted to give away the very first uh, award for stereo filmmaking, uh, excellence in stereo filmmaking, to James Cameron. And uh, I think John, John Lando actually picked it up. But it was they wanted to name it after Harold Lloyd because he was a very famous silent actor, um, but he was also a huge uh, advocate of uh, 3D. In fact, he took about 250,000 stereo pictures in his life. He started the very first uh, uh, 3D society in Hollywood in the 50s, and he's been quoted as saying that uh, 3D is the future of entertainment. So he was a major visionary. And that's why they wanted to name that award after him. And Suzanne Lloyd, Suzanne Lloyd, his his granddaughter, who he raised, uh, was going to be presenting that award to John Landau. And she said she wanted to do something very special to honor her grandfather. So she asked us if we would do her a favor and uh, convert some of his footage. So we got some of his most iconic footage from Safety Last, where he's hanging from a building, uh, actually a clock on, a, on the side of a building. Uh, most people recognize it immediately when they see it. And sure. we, edited that, we edited it down a bit, and then we started out with the source material, which is flat, black and white, um, very soft, uh, th- uh, silent uh, feature film. And as soon as he, he um, hangs from that clock, it instantly changes to stereo and color. And it turned out to be a the, the highlight of the entire um, awards ceremony. People are still talking about it. Wow. Wow. That's, that is really cool. Can you, can you now, I mean, can you now kind of walk us through layman's terms how, uh, how you convert 2D to 3D? Um, well, I can try. It's, 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a difficult process. It's difficult to explain. But basically, sure. it's, it's a process of identifying all the objects in each frame of the film, uh, I, identifying them uh, digitally, uh, those pixels in each part of the of, in each object of the of the uh, the frame, and then uh, basically we create an offset, a slight change in 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 uh, that goes to the other eye. So we have one image for the left eye, one image for the right eye. And it's as simple as that. But how you get there um, is a little bit complex. Um, some people use Z-depth, which basically creates a grayscale gradient in Z and depth from white to black with things in the foreground, shades of white, and those in the background, shades of black, and gradations between. And how you build that is, is different with most of the conversion companies. Some of them actually... Um, Reanimate the an entire feature film. They create a CG uh, replication of the of a, of a set and all of the people, and basically animate an entire shot. Um, but it's it's animated very simply. In other words, if you had, you would have Harry Potter as as sort of a mannequin um, in gradations based on what's in front and what's in back in terms of white and black. And um, his, he wouldn't have very much detail in, it, in his face or anything like that, but he, and his, his glasses would be like bottle caps. So he would look a little strange. And then what the conversion company would do is they would rotoscope or they would outline um, Harry Potter 
and project that onto this, this little model, this, this mannequin model in 3D space. And uh, that creates a, a 3D uh, a stereo look. The problem with that process, however, is that you typically don't get the detail uh, that's necessary uh, for real quality, high quality. I mean, uh, the stuff that we do, um, highlights in the eye have to be inset by a pixel. That's how much, that's how detailed, uh, detailed we get. And I don't think anybody else uh, does that. Um, so anyway, there's, there's various ways of, of getting um, this uh, gradation, this, uh, this, this Z gradation in, in 3D space. And, uh, but that's basically how you do it. I don't know if that's clear or not. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm wrapping my brain around it. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, got, I've got a question from the chat room from, from uh, Tau X, and, and, and he asks, he says, is there anything majorly different between doing 3D after the fact than when it's plotted to be 3D up front? Um, well, yes and no. Um, in, in, in the right hands, uh, obviously it's better to... Um, start from the very beginning and uh, and uh, produce a feature film with stereo in mind, and preferably have the conversion company um, alongside the, the filmmaker from the beginning to the end. Um, and uh, uh, that's obviously the best way because everything is is uh, optimized. But uh, we can create we can take a a two D film and make a three D. Not every film, but will look as good. But we can take any 2D film, and make it into 3D, and, and it looked like it was shot in 3D. What um, what what's the caveat? I mean, why do some films lend themselves better to the 3D process conversion process than others? Is it just the quality of the image on the film, or? Well, yeah, it's, well, it's partially that you know um, some optical effects don't really come out that well. Some of the older movies, um, the uh, but. It really depends on, I, I guess, on the genre and uh, on the quality of the the film. Uh, I, I personally think that any film or in any genre uh, really plays well in 3D, but most people don't think that. You know, I haven't. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'll offer an opinion. I haven't seen enough to know. You know what I mean? I mean, if if it's if I can't see why it wouldn't be. I mean, I can't envision why something wouldn't work in 3D actually if you know if it's not about showcasing effects you know i guess if i guess what i'm trying to say is the early 3D seemed to be you know i'm going to throw a i'm going to i'm going to jab a spear at you or throw a baseball at you to to, <laughs> to show off the power of 3D that we never had experienced before but if if once we're used to all of that stuff then then it's just, it's the same thing that's happened to me with with animation i love disney animation i love the old <laughs> hand pencil drawn frame by frame cell you know animation from Disney and when they said we're not going to do any 2D animation anymore I was very disappointed but I've really grown to like in addition to my my love for the old animation and the old cartoons I've really grown to like a lot of the the, the new stuff and and so I, I would think that there'd be an incredible place for 3D in any film, and and again, it goes back to offering options. If you, could, I mean, what an ancillary market. If I can say, you know, I don't, I don't only have a black and white film, but I can have a black and white film in widescreen, or I can have it in full screen, or I can have it in color, or I can have it in 3D. I mean, in other words, I just keep enriching my experience by how many different ways I can view a, a piece of art. 
We're on the same page. <laughs> totally. <Wow. Yeah. laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 well, I, I didn't mean to speak for you, but I mean, I, and I'm talking out loud here, but I, I think I, I'm like, wow, this sounds really, really cool. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna take. I gotta take a short break here, and just enough time to tell people that they're listening, and then uh, to who they're listening to, and then and then we'll come right back. All right, Barry. Okay. All right. Thanks. You're listening to Rex Sykes. Dot com. That's my name. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. It's Rex Sykes Movie, the official website. My guest today is Dr. Barry Sandrew. We're talking about legend 3D technology and uh, 2D to 3D conversion in, uh, in film and colorization. My upcoming guests are going to be Director Rex Piano. He's my very next guest. I uh, hope you'll join us uh uh, next time for him, Dan Davies is a producer, writer, and director of Ed Gein, the musical. Uh, Matt Berry, Matthew Berry's producer, caster, director. And Monica Lewis, I've mentioned before, is the mother of Rocky Lang, uh, wife of Jennings Lang, the producer from Universal Studios. And Rocky is as well a producer. She's going to be talking about her career in the 30s and 40s as a, as a singer. Dolph Lundgren will be joining us at, at some point. Uh, he, he had to reschedule. And Tracy Jackson, she... Uh, uh, wrote Confessions of a Shopaholic. She's a screenwriter. She'll be joining us as well. Plus so many more. So please do stay tuned. And please always reach out to others. Invite them to listen. Invite them into the chat room. And if you can't listen live and or they can't, please steer them to the podcast and steer them to the archived interviews all right there at RexSykes.com. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're back with Dr. Barry Sandrew. Um, so, Barry... Um, uh, let me see. Um, I, I I have a question here, and I'm not sure quite how to ask it. Huh? Oh, you do? Okay, good. Well, it, it, it's, it's, uh, we were talking about the 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 process of 2D to 3D conversion, in, you know, in layman's terms, and then and then we had the question from Terry about, uh, you know, better to be first or second, you know, I mean, plotted. Um, and, I, and I have that question too, but I was going to analyze the 3D illusion, native versus conversion. That's pretty much what we're talking about right now. I mean, the, okay. the idea that somebody, somebody, um, the, the, well, the, the notion that all 3D is an illusion anyway, right? That's right, it is. And, you know, 3D is probably not the proper term for theatrical stereo. We see 3D naturally with our binocular vision. But for a theatrical 3D, probably the proper term is probably stereo illusion. Um, in real life, our, our eyes both focus and converge on whatever we're looking at. Uh, with 3D movies, however, our, our eyes focus on the screen, but we converge at a point either in front or behind it. So our brains actually get tricked into thinking it's a stereoscopic depth cue creating the illusion of 3D. Now this is true. This is true for both uh, shooting two cameras or 3D conversion. And you know, you, you mentioned native. Uh, the truth is, there really is nothing native about shooting in 3D. The average person okay. thinks that a 3D camera acts just like our two eyes, but nothing could be further from the truth. Um, the two lenses in a 3D rig often need to be positioned closer together than is uh, really possible because of the size of the lens and the camera sizes. So there's a clever trick that's used to get the camera, cameras as close together as our two eyes, which are approximately 63 millimeters, or about 2.5 minutes, 2.5 inches apart. The rig is called an over-under or a beam splitter. Um, and 
basically one camera sits, it's very clever, one camera sits on top looking straight down and the other is positioned normally looking straight at the scene. And in the rig there's a, a mirror and that mirror, so the, the camera looking straight down is looking at the scene reflected on the mirror and the other camera looking straight at the scene is looking through the mirror. Uh, not exactly a biological um, <laughs> way of looking at, at 3D. And in fact, uh, what happens very often is that one eye sees things differently than the other. Uh, one camera sees things differently than the other, and uh, that causes uh, uh, stereo artifacts and very often stereo uh, uh, ocular uh, rivalry, which means that if you, you've got a, a couple pixels in one eye and not the other eye in the middle of a shot, uh, it's going to be disturbing. You're going to see it, and it's not going to be. It's not going to feel very good. So, you know, this is the shooting a camera is not really a natural situation in the relation to the way we normally see stereo. When um, you you got to you got to excuse my pauses here because I got to take it all in, <laughs> kind of let it ruminate inside that empty cranial space between my ears. Um, uh, so, like these stereographic photographs. I mean, in 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 older days, I remember looking at these photographs, and we would put them in a a, a kind of extender or frame holder, and then you would look through uh, what appeared well, they were lenses, and then you would get a, a 3D effect by looking through those. Mm -hmm. But they weren't red and green, if I recall. They were simply clear. And and then really? you know. Huh? Where was this? I mean, it wasn't anaglyph. It wasn't red, red, blue, or red, green. My 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 father was an optometrist, and he had a bunch of stuff in his in his in his office, and mm -hmm. and some of it was these stereograph photos. And as kids, we would play, you know, oh, in the yeah. back office, and oh, and sure. so for checking people's depth perception or something, you know. And so he had all these different kinds of things. Um, and then, of course, there was the red and green, and then I forget what it was. It was the um, those projectors you would hold up to your eyes and you would click, and they had the round, round little film cartridge, and they, they, you would look through those. I forget what they were called, but you yep. would click it, but you get these stereo, you know, green and yellow, you know, a three D thing. Anyway, the, the, what I'm trying to actually get to is, um, you know, 20 years ago or so, we saw these stereographic books coming out, kind of in vogue, stereoptic books where you where you have to kind of uh, look differently in order to see the three D effect in them. Yeah. And yeah. now and now and now you can still go to you can go see Avatar but you're putting on glasses but someday you know and you say there's glassless 3D on the cell phones but these and I haven't seen the 3D television but it, but is it all is, are we going to be watching TV without and, and going to the theater someday soon without or someday without watching putting on glasses to see 3D? Uh someday um probably um you know not in the near future. Uh -huh. um, but I I have a uh a special feeling about glasses, and it's different than uh, what many people think. Um, when we go to a 2D movie, we've learned to read a 2D movie. It's uh, uh -huh. rather than experience it, and, and there's a whole uh, group dynamics in in the theater, and it all plays together. Um, but we're not we're not immersive. We're immersed in the thing. We're just we're basically reading it. It's sort of like a book with pictures. Uh, we don't most people don't feel that way, but that's essentially what we're doing. When you're looking at a 3D movie, however, um, 
it, no two people see a 3D movie in quite the same way. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the processes are happening in your brain, and it all depends on on uh, the quality of your, your division in both eyes. Everything plays into it, but um, the, you're basically experiencing rather than reading the the, uh, the action. And in that regard, the the lenses, the the, the, the uh, glasses actually separate you to a certain extent from the audience and makes it a more personal thing. And I think it, I think it actually helps. I think that once we have glassless uh, theater, I, I think it's going to be a totally different in experience and not necessarily uh, a better one. Really, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Does this? I mean, there. It has been said that there have been tribes around the world, you know, who couldn't see through plates of glass. You know, when when you know the civilized person brought glass over, they couldn't see it because of the way the light reflected off the glass, and they'd never grown up with glass, and so what they would see is kind of a mirrored image. Or we, I don't know what they would see, but they couldn't see through it until they could learn to see through it. In other words, it was a function of their brain adapting to, you know, windows essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, in, in the same way that you know, we've learned to see film in a in a particular fashion, is what you're saying. We read it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it's not a personal experience. It's a, it's a it's a group experience more than anything. Uh, whereas 3D is a personal experience. That's actually that's so incredibly tantalizing. I mean, that's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so. I hope you know more people have questions in the chat room because I'm I'm almost you know um, dumbfounded here with the amount of questions I want to ask and I and I want to be sure to ask this question though and and I'll switch topics and we may bounce around a little bit here Barry but but in, in terms of the technology right now with with Legend 3D and the ability to convert a 2D movie to 3D I go out and I shoot a movie and I go gosh you know I wish I would have shot that in 3D so I bring it to you and uh, and you can convert it to 3D um, versus you know plotting it out at 3D. Um, without, without, you know, I mean, uh, how is the cost, how, you know, in other words, how do you weigh, what, how, what's, what's the cost, how, how, does it, how much does it cost, I guess? I'm not asking for an actual dollar, but I'm just saying yeah. in terms of, you know, it cost effective to do a 2D conversion or to shoot it in 3D? What, what? Well, it, it's more expensive to shoot it, and it's much more uh -huh. complicated. Much more complex, uh, complicated to shoot it. The cost uh, is uh, all over the gamut. Um, the uh, it, it can be anywhere from twenty thousand dollars a minute upwards to two hundred thousand dollars a minute. Um, it depends on the complexity of the feature. The uh, you know if it's a if it's a catalog title, whether it's a first run feature, how much visual effects there are, and how many of those visual effects elements are available for the conversion process, uh, all of these things come into play, as well as um, the uh, the, in, the involvement of the original filmmaker. Um, the original filmmaker uh, wants to obviously be as creative as possible, and that extends the uh, amount of time for production, which is, uh, which is a cost factor. So it's basic, let's talk about the, the advantages of conversion and when it's the ideal approach, when, when you know, we want to do this. Um, wait a second. Um, well, there, there are many, first of all, um, most 3D titles, even those shot in 3D, require some conversion. Um, I understand that Avatar had 
um, uh, quite a few number of shots converted, and we've been working on several shows that have been shot in 3D, but nevertheless end up in our studio for some conversion. Uh, either the shots didn't work out or the shots were impossible to do with 3D camera rig, like underwater stuff and that, that kind of thing. Um, of course, there's an extra onset time for rig setup for each shot. The extra staff is needed, the extremely high cost of renting 3D camera rigs and the extra post time, not to mention the stereographic expertise that's typically required. Most, most filmmakers feel uh, comfortable shooting in 2D, and we provide a way for them to have their cake and eat it too. They can work mm -hmm. in 2D, the, they can work in 2D, the format in which they feel most comfortable, yet end up with a stunning 3D film using 3D con uh, Legend 3D conversion. Other filmmakers still like to work with film, and if a title is shot on film stock, really the only way to make the movie in 3D um, is via conversion. Yeah, there are some 3D film processes that are being used, like the one Technicolor has developed, so that you can see it in a uh, non-digital theater, like in, uh, uh, in, a, in a country that doesn't have a, a lot of 3D theaters or digital theaters. Um, but I've never heard good things about it, and digital is really the way to go with stereo. And when it comes to catalog titles, conversion is the only way to go. Um, we've been spending a huge amount of R&D dollars to make our process as efficient as possible and to offer the studios quality that Legend 3D is known for at budgets more appropriate for the studio libraries. It's a totally different pipeline with more automation, but the end product is remarkable looking. That, that's, basically, uh, that's basically it. Wow. Wow, that's very cool. So, um, how about talking a little bit about the the, the time, the the approach, your your Legend 3D's approach to taking the necessary time to properly convert content? Um, yeah, it's it's important to take uh, enough time to to get it right. And you know, there have been examples where, um, certainly examples where it wasn't right, and, you know, Clash of the Titans is always mentioned. Now, Clash of the, the studio that did Clash of, Clash of the Titans uh, can do good work, but um, they were given a, a title, and uh, they were given about 10 weeks to do it, and the uh, and they wanted to do it, and the studio wanted to do it, and, and I think I think considering it took 10 weeks to do it, and, and actually it took less time because, because um, the visual effects, I think, came in late. Um, I think it was as good as they could get it with uh, with that amount of time. Um, we would like to have between, I mean, anybody would like to have between 12 and 16 weeks to do it, but we rarely get that kind of uh, that kind of time to put a movie into 3D. We just finished uh, a Conan uh, trailer. We just delivered it yesterday. It's going to be shown, um, I believe, in front of uh, the Thor um, feature film, um, uh -huh. and we did that. We did that from beginning to end in only 10 days. Um, we can do a we can do a commercial in a week, a one minute commercial, and uh, a, a a a trailer. Well, this particular trailer had 120 shots, um, and uh, we were able to do that in, in 10 days. And uh, the the filmmakers loved it. Um, geez, it's just it just is amazing. Um. I want to go back to the notion of the the well. Let, let's let's actually let's talk about some of the movies first. Let's let's talk about Shrek and in the involvement with Shrek. Well, one of the things that that we had as an advantage, three, uh, Legend 3D, is that we 
every one of our clients, every one of our creative uh, clients uh, were amazing taskmasters. Uh, they demanded the highest quality. Um, when we did Alice in Wonderland, you know, Corey Turner was the was the stereographer, and he didn't let anything get by us. And um, we learned a great deal from from Corey. <coughs> Um, when we started to do uh, uh, Shrek, um, Phil McNally um, was the stereographer, and he's he's very well known. He's he's one of the best. We learned a great deal from him, and uh, we had uh, Nancy Bernstein and uh, and Wendy Rogers also uh, working on that particular feature, and and they were sticklers as far as uh, any imperfection. Uh, I think that Sh Shrek. Um, is probably the the uh, how can I say it uh, the highest quality uh, conversion that I've seen um, anywhere, and uh, I you know I defy anybody to see to to find uh, a lot of pixels out of place or any artifact because I don't think it's there. Um, and it, we did all three of them in six months, so about two months per wow. feature film. Um. Forgive my not knowing, but when you say, you know, I mean, I mean, that sounds like an awful lot, you know, uh, six months for three features to do all of it. Is it is? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know quite how to articulate the question. Is it, you know, um, at more of an assembly line, you know, an automated process that that requires oversight, or is it more of a hands-on process that is Additionally automated. Does that does that question make sense to you in any way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all all of the above. Um, it, it's a it's a creative process turned into an assembly line, but it is a, it's very much a creative process uh, from beginning to end. Um, but you know the, the the it's very labor intensive, and in that regard, it is uh, an assembly line. Um, it, it is like an assembly line process. Well, and 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 uh, Kara Ford asks a question. The chat room asks, you know, how many people work on a project. In other words, how? I, I guess that's fair enough. How many people would be on, say, uh, each feature there, Shrek one, two, and three? Well, it varies. It depends on um, the amount of time we have to produce it and the difficulty of the film. It depends on so many different things. How many people we put on it? Um, and uh, so I, there is there isn't any one number. Uh, well, could you could you, for example, for Shrek in the two months, how many people would you have like working on that? I mean, can you can you ballpark that? No, not really. Um, it's kind of a trade secret. But let me just tell oh. you that we, we, we we've got six um, feature films in house today that we're working uh -huh. on. Uh, we 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 ramped up. And when we started Alice, we had about uh, forty people doing Alice, and we had in, in India we have a, a studio we've had for ten years. Um, and uh, we have a virtual private network between San Diego and, and uh, Patna, India. So we're basically one virtual studio, and we had 120 people there. Today, a year later, uh, well, a year and a half later, um, we have 435 people in San Diego and 850 people in our studio in India. So wow. that's what it takes. Uh, and we still have and we still have capacity. We can we can work it so that we can take on additional work right now. 
All right, so I'm going to ask you a, a, a really kind of dumb question, but what do you need to know in order to do this work in, in some of the different areas? I mean, can I run out tomorrow and get a, a junior college degree at a, at a technical school and, and IT and come to work, or do I need to specialize in a particular aspect of technology? You know, what, 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 what if, if I were a potential, a, a young person looking to get started in this, in this business, what, what should I have in my, in my, uh, skill set. Well, that's the cool thing about Legend. Um, we, um, the average age of our people are about 25, very young people, and uh, they, um, most of them came out of uh, art institutes. Uh, basically, they, they go to art, the art institutes to get an overview of computer graphics, uh, and then they go out and they try to find a job somewhere. Um, we've taken, um, well, right now I think we have 120 of our people came from the Art Institute from San Diego. We're trying to we're trying to hire as much uh, from San Diego as possible. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to help the economy here, and uh -huh. um, so uh, they really don't come with a lot of uh, specialized skill at all. Uh, and we train them. We we, we bring them in uh, 20 at a time. They are evaluated, and about 20% of them uh, pass that evaluation. And the evaluation evaluation is basically whether they get it or not. People either understand stereo and can work in stereo, or they can't. Um, I'm not sure what it is that differentiates them, but um, uh, like I said, they either get it or they don't. And those that do get it, then they go through through our training process, and it typically takes a week to two weeks before they start actually working on on real work. But when they come into this uh, into Legend, some of them this is their very first job ever, and for a lot of them, this is definitely their very first professional uh, creative uh, uh, job. And when they come in, I basically tell them, you know, you could be up in L.A. working for 15 years uh, in uh, in the industry and never have an opportunity to work on the feature films that you're working on right here at Legend 3D. Very exciting. We have the we have the we have the mayor of San Diego here last Monday. Um, obviously, we're very popular here because we are helping the economy. And uh, he came here, and he was, he was just blown away by um, the people here. The and he he interviewed a lot of them, and, and he, all he heard was was great things about the company and their experience here. That is fantastic, and and kudos to you, and and kudos for making it local and trying to help the economy in San Diego. I think that's really awesome. Let me ask you a really st stupid question. And I, and I don't stupid mean questions it. all along, though, Rex. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm good for. It's stupid questions. No, but it's part of my charm. It's part of my charm. Um, it is. <laughs> can you can you be one-eyed and work in this field? No, uh, we don't. No. no, we don't hire any cyclopses. The, the, the <laughs> in fact, we, we we give everybody a, um, a stereo test before they actually come in, just like we used to give people color blindness tests for colorization. Um, uh -huh. it, 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 you know, I I I was wearing contacts when I first started all of this, and. And I have what what they call monocular vision. So one eye is used for reading, and one eye is used for distance. And you know, my brain uh, basically turns one eye off depending on what I'm doing. So right. when I'm looking at a stereo, when I'm looking at a monitor or, or a movie theater, uh, my my right eye, which is for distance, uh, sees it. My left eye, my brain t turns off my left eye for the most part. And that's what happens with most people who don't have. Um, the same uh, the, the same quality of, of, of vision in both eyes. So I, I was uh, essentially stereo blind to a certain extent. I couldn't see things in, neg in negative parallax, something things coming out of the screen. 
I could see things in the screen, but not all that. I mean, not as well as, as uh, most other people. So I had to get um, my glasses changed, and now I've got contacts that give both my eyes 20-20 vision. So now my stereo um, perception is, is perfect, um, but it ha I had to go through that. And, and you know, so you, you, when you think about it, I have decent vision, um, even though I have contacts, yet it affected me. So you take the whole population of people going to see movies and the variation in there and their, their vision, and you can see where it is a personal experience. No, pe no two people are seeing it the same way. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. Now, I, I too, I, I don't any longer, but I had binocular contacts for a while. I mean, I, I could see, you know, and my daughter just got contacts today, and so this discussion came up, and I and, and they said, oh, you know, most people can't handle this. I said, well, I, you know, first day I did it, I didn't have an issue with it, and I, and I loved it. But it, but now, in, inside this conversation, so, in other words, if I were wearing those contacts at the time and I went to a 3D movie with glasses, it wouldn't make any difference because my my one eye would, my brain would just shut down anyway. I'd still be seeing it just in one eye, right? Well, you you would you'd be seeing it in two eyes, but you wouldn't be getting oh, that right. much that uh, that much 3D effect. Right. I mean, it, it, would I, I your, it would affect the amount of 3D you're seeing. Wow. I, yeah. So that makes that now I understand more about when you say you know that it's truly a personal experience. Mm -hmm. uh, which is which, and I've always said that anyway. I mean, you know, two people go to a movie. One loves it, one hates it. It's not because of the movie; it's because of whatever they're internalizing regarding it. You know, one is focused on the story, the other's focused on directing, the other's focused on on costuming, another person's focused on the comfort of the seat they're sitting in. You know, while they're doing. Yeah. But but, but, but truly, visually in that two D feature film, um, and everybody, both of them, both of the two people are seeing the same, essentially the same thing. There's not a variation. It, right. Yeah. It, there's not. There's no variation in the brain. The brain is not. Is not. Is not uh, uh, processing it differently in both people. But the difference in 3D. I mean, in other words, we, we're 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 receiving an image that's projected the same way to all these people. But in 3D, uh, irrespective of what we pay attention to or don't pay attention to, or what 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 enters our consciousness or doesn't, we're actually seeing differently. Yes. Based on. On the brain. Well, that, I mean, that's just that is just so intriguing, I, and 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 worthy so much more of further exploration, both on on everybody's part, but on my part, I, I really want to look into this. This is absolutely captivating. Um, so let me ask you now, Barry, about the, the differences between, say, Shrek and Alice and Green Hornet, and or uh, can you give a little bit of talk about, uh, and, and maybe not with these particular films, but but you know, either difficulties or challenges or or, or ask, you know, I mean, in other words, some have to be easier than others to do. Some have to be uh, tougher than others, or, or their own quirks and caveats yeah. and everything. Can can we address like those three movies and, and and like why is one more fun or or harder than the other? Yeah, well, of course, Alice was our our first feature film. We did about 22 minutes of it. Um, we, worked, we worked with ImageWorks on that, and they, they did the rest. Uh, but that was our first feature film. Uh, a lot of people think that uh, we were given, you know, the, those CG environments, those computer graphic environments in Wonderland. People thought that uh, we were given that already in 3D and by ImageWorks, and then uh, we simply stereoed uh, or converted Alice and the other live-action people. 
Um, that's not the way it happened. We were given, um, ba basically we had to convert all of the environments as well as the people, virtually everything in, in, in each frame. So that was a real learning experience for us and, uh, and uh, it really helped us uh, hone our skills. And then we, uh, we got uh, Shrek and Shrek, that was our, of course our first animated feature film and animation is considerably di more difficult than live action or something like Alice because uh, everything is so clean, everything is so uh, pristine. So if there's any errors, they're immediately noticeable. And uh, you know the positioning of the of, of the, uh, the stereo, everything everything has to be more precise. Um, so obviously that that really was a, a, a huge learning uh, learning curve for us, but also a huge advantage to us. Again, because. Uh, unlike uh, other conversion companies, um, we have, for some reason, um, had the experience of, 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 of the most, the most um, demanding creative uh, clients uh, that we could possibly find. And that was to our advantage because, uh, as far as we were concerned, uh, the quality that, that uh, uh, Corey wanted and, and, and that uh, Phil wanted um, we figured that's that's really where it has to be all the time, and we've never compromised that quality that we learned from them. Um, we for for Green Hornet, we um, there was a, quite a few companies working on that. Um, I think we did about 30 minutes of that, and uh, it was a real action action uh, scene. We did all mainly all of the action scenes at the end, plus some stuff in the middle. Um, and there you've got a lot of. Um, how can I put it? They're, they're, it's a different type of process because there is so much action and motion and motion blur. And, uh, of course, in that one, we had uh, car windshields and all of that with reflections everywhere. Um, so, you know, we had to refine our process to uh, to create reflections on on uh, windshields uh, and make them look uh, very natural. And it was like in every shot we had a different one. And we were able to, um, I mean, that, that was an advantage, too, because, you see, every feature film we have, we, 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 uh, we, uh, we have in-house, presents different challenges, new challenges, very often. And um, uh, what we do is we create software uh, that uh, meets those challenges. And what the end result is, we have a huge suite of, of tools from each feature film that we can use on new feature films. Uh, other feature films, and for instance, we have one one feature film right now we're working on. We spent a, a year of software uh, development just for that feature film. Obviously, a very important one, and um, uh, that that uh, software that we developed is now being used on two other feature films, and it's uh, it's very it's it's making the other two feature films uh, much higher quality. Did I answer your I question? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I keep saying it, but I'm astounded because, I mean, the, I think, you know, I was going to ask a question like, well, is it simpler on digital or on film, you know? But I mean, when you, when you talk about the different kinds of issues that would come up, whether it's reflections on glass or things like that, and the, what you have to develop, I mean, you know, it's, it, 
it's impressive what's happening in the filmmaking community, I guess is what I want to say. And it's impressive the work that you're doing because because for every problem, you know, it requires a solution and for every solution it requires people with forward thinking in order to advance, you know, the technology and and advance the community and advance and advance the art. And and uh, you know, I'm talking with somebody who who says, you know, we had these issues, now we have to go out and solve them and in doing so we've now created, you know, something else, you know, whether it's a proprietary software or a new patent or another design or or just another game plan for for attacking a problem that that uh, nobody knew how to solve, you know, prior to that. So it's 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 an incredibly fascinating discussion and a, and a rich and diverse field. And 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 I'm and, and you know, I mean, I feel very privileged to be part of this conversation and and to talk with you in this way because I, it it you know, I mean, it's it's filmmaking, it's art, it's 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 the future of of where we're going. It's what my kids will be, you know, accustomed to, you know, down the road. So it's 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 uh, enlightening and, and, and enlivening. I'm, I appreciate it very much. Um, so, but but let me take that pedantic little question back and say, <laughs> digital or film? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, we can deal with film. We can do it, and we can do film. Uh, obviously, it has to be digitized, and then we work with digital uh, digital frames. It doesn't matter. But does it? But does it incur more costs? In other words, if I've got my my 35 millimeter print and or I've got my you know film on a on a already digitized, I mean, am I am I saving a step or? Well, or no, not? you're creating a step because you have to digitize it. I mean, Digi- you know, digitize the film. Yeah, yeah, frame by frame. That's that's okay. uh, pretty much the only the only uh, additional step. Wow. Wow, uh, it's so cool. It's so very cool. You know, Barry, I um, we're almost out of time. We've got you know uh, literally you know about eight minutes left. The the time has flown by, and um, I would love to have you back at another time when it's convenient for you, you know, to just discuss more of this. But uh, you know, and and if that's all right with you, you know, I you know would let the listeners know in the future when when you would be back. But um, it's here to stay. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Um, it's it, you know, and um, it's only going to become more. What can you tell me more about your legend team and all oh, the yeah. different kinds of expertise that contribute to you know finessing this art through the years? Well, we've got a special team. You know, considering the kudos we've been getting from each of our clients, our creative team is certainly hitting all the high marks on both quality and speed. All of our stereographers were instrumental in the development of the Legend 3D technology, and they've all been with us for the past two to four years. And they know the process inside and out. And since 2005, we've actually been studying the process of 3D conversion and stereo in general, the physics of stereo. More specifically, yeah, the physics and the physiology of 3D. We can do some amazing experiments with our technology, modulating the disparity, you know, the, the difference between right and left eyes, in very tiny increments until a stereo illusion falls apart, and it does fall apart, and that's when your eyes go crazy. Um, we can find out where that is because they're, uh, we're basically playing with um, disparity-specific neurons in the brain, and if, once you get beyond the, uh, the, uh, the, the distance that these neurons can handle, everything goes a little bit haywire, and, and there's a message to your eyes, hey, something's screwy, better uh, fix something. Um, and we tend to look away from the screen. Um, We've been doing this kind of study continuously over the years uh, to better understand what makes us uncomfortable in a 3D movie, and more important, how to avoid the discomfort. And as a result, we always hear people say that most 3D movies bother them, but our work doesn't have the effect at all. Wow. 
Well, um, with the remaining moments, Barry, what I, I really want to ask in the next few minutes, let's see here. We've got, yeah, uh, I said eight, maybe we've got four. But let me, but and, and, and we can have more than that. But but let me do this, and I and I, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever, ever asked anyone this question, but I should. Is there anything that I've not asked you that I should have asked you tonight? In other words, is there anything that you want people to know uh, or understand that I haven't even begun to to, to consider in, in my questions so that you the, the, the remaining time is yours to, 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 to talk about whatever it is that you'd like to us to understand or know? Oh brother. Um well I can talk about talk about the industry in general and, and what's sure. what seems to be what seems to be happening in terms of conversion. Uh, it's very it, it's following following the same sort of trend that uh colorization did. Um you know as soon as as soon as it became known that it was it was a very big business and and potentially very lucrative um companies were coming out of the woodwork um trying to do the same thing. And there are there are boutique companies out there uh, right now. They're coming out of the woodwork, saying that they can do conversion, and a lot of them can do you know a, a half a minute, a minute, and they can do a good demo, very good demo. But to actually convert an entire feature film is not easy. In fact, it's very very difficult. And there's less than a handful of companies that can actually do an entire feature film. And we're one of them. Um, but I, and I think the studio what the studios are doing right now, primarily because of uh, of uh, you know the, the Clash of the Titans and, and the problems with Harry Potter, they are getting a lot of different different conversion companies on one feature film, uh, just to mitigate the risk. In case something goes wrong, they can always go. They can always give some of those shots to another company. Um, the higher end um, feature films, are basically, they're you know, they're getting two of us to to do those, so that again mitigates risk. You always have backup and that sort of thing. So that's where it's going right now. Um, I think that what the studios are, are, are learning is that uh, you know there's conversion and there's conversion, and these little little shops um, can't always uh, produce the quality that's necessary for their end product, uh, and those those will those will disappear. That's where we are today. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, I mean, it, you know, it'll be it'll be the survival of the people who provide. So. Uh, mm-hmm. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's truly awesome. Um, it is an amazing discussion. I mean, a fascinating time. It's, it's for me. It's flown by here, um, and it, it just it really makes me want to learn more and pay attention more. Is there anything, you know, you, now you mentioned, you know, Green Hornet and Alice and Shrek. You've got six movies that you can't talk about, but is there anything else that we can pay attention to, or that we can notice, or that we should look at, in terms of the kinds of of kinds of what you talked about today, like with, you know whether it was Avatar, or, you know, in, in, so that the, the listeners who listen to this interview, whatever they do over the next eons, you know, can go, oh yeah, I, 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 you know, I saw Shrek, and now I know what Barry was talking about. You know, when he says it's the pristine, you know, work, or I, you know, are there things, anything you want to leave us with that we could, you know, any films that you can point us to to to, to look at in terms of 3D uh, or colorization. Yeah, definitely pick up uh, uh, Holiday Inn and and It's a Wonderful Life. You love it, um, and and that's not ours. So the studios on it, but they are really great. Um, well, yeah, there's going to be um, a lot of Blu-rays coming out, and I think that uh, people are going to um, start uh, start appreciating um, this stereo more once they've got those uh, 
once they've got uh, televisions, 3D televisions, and their Blu-rays at home, I think it's going to um, it's going to make 3D ubiquitous because the experience is so unique and so um, so full. So I, I, you know, I agree with you. It's it's here to stay, and it's only going to get better. Fantastic. Well, you have been an amazing source of information. I appreciate and applaud your efforts over all of these years. And and, uh, and you worked hard. I mean, 14 patents and all the work and everything that you've done, I mean, that is a, an incredible sense of accomplishment. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to be here and discuss this with, with uh, my listeners and, and friends and your fans and, and anybody who might be tuning in. Um, thank you so much. And as I said, I, you're, you're welcome back. I'd love to have you back another time, and if it works for you, we'll, we will uh, uh, you know, make those arrangements. And in the meantime, Barry, thanks so much. Uh, definitely. Thank you. All right. Enjoy your, the rest of your evening. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was Dr. Barry Sandrew and uh, and uh, Legend 3D, and uh, very uh, I, I'm I'm very impressed and 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 very glad to have had this gentleman on the show and to talk about this topic and and I've learned so much about uh, something I didn't know and it makes it whets my appetite for so much more. Definitely want to look into it. It makes me want to go back and look at Shrek, uh, the three movies, all over again. And I'm glad I, I have them, you know, in Alice in Wonderland, uh, which I haven't seen all of. And, and uh, certainly check out the Green Hornet and different things. Uh, the Safety Last and, 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 and the other things that, that Barry mentioned. But uh, I also want to thank, um, uh, not only thank Barry for being here, but I want to thank you for being here, for joining us both live and archived. For those of you who joined us in the chat room with your questions, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it when you reach out to others and you spread the word about this show because it helps my guests and and get their information out to you, the people who it's truly intended for. So when you uh, rate and review the shows or you leave comments right there at Blog Talk Radio, when you uh, reach out and email others or tweet about it or Facebook it and say, hey, check this out, uh, you're helping other people get uh, information that I think is critical, the kind of information they need to have uh, to help them to to learn and to move forward in their careers and and with their endeavors. So I appreciate it when you do that. And I also appreciate it when you write me and email me and, and give me feedback or suggestions and tell me about upcoming events or about guests and all those kinds of things. Um, I don't have, and I should have asked Barry, and I don't have it. Uh, the website is legend3d.com. That's L-E-G-E-N-D-3-D. Dot com. Be sure to check that out uh, and uh, and take a look at it. But I didn't ask about the Twitter address for them. But you can become a member. Uh, I'm sorry. You can you can join my Rex Sykes Movie Beat page on Facebook by clicking like there. And I'm going to find out more information about um, Legend and Barry and, and those on Facebook, which I don't have, and Twitter, and uh, see if I can provide you that. Uh, but and you can follow me on Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word is abbreviated. Rex Sykes Movie BT. So everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that's a wrap. And hey, you know what? Who knows? Maybe, maybe down the road, you'll be a producer, or director, or someone who utilizes this technology, or you have your movie converted into 3D. Uh, and that's quite an exciting thought. All right, everybody, take care. That is a wrap. <laughs>